obviously we're in 2 Samuel chapter 1, and we, we really wanted to show that recap video of 1 Samuel to help everyone get caught up a little bit with where we're at. We thought it was important. And uh, little things about, uh, about things about us here at Life Church. It is, we are expository, like, like Noah said earlier. And the reason is we want the Bible to dictate our diet. We don't want to dictate the diet for the people. We want the Bible to speak for itself. We believe it's living and active that it penetrates, cutting the soul, between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It does some things to us, so we'd love to have it just dictate what we're talking about. And then also, there's an attitude in our culture, in church, in society, in our nation, that says that the Old Testament is forgotten, it's gone, it's old. We don't need to learn anything from the Old Testament. But I would tell you that nothing can be further from the truth, because everything Jesus taught from was in the Old Testament. And on top of that, the things that Paul taught were from the Old Testament. And he says in Romans 15 that, that the things that happened previously were for us and for our benefit so that we could learn through, through and have a hope through studying the Scriptures and finding more about it. Paraphrasing that verse, of course. And then we'll be in this chapter, chapter 1 of 2 Samuel. But I need to give you everyone some context of what's going on. Even though we watched that recap video, I, I really need to, to help you with where we're at in the story. So David is fleeing from Saul. Saul's tried to kill him multiple times because he's worried that, King, that David is going to try to overtake Saul and his kingdom. And so David ends up uh, running away, hiding in caves. Then he decides that he needs to go to Philistine territory to join the Philistines. So he goes to this king of the Philistines and, and, and befriends him with his 600 men, and they're with him. And he has a hometown that is given to him by the Philistines down in the southern part of Israel. So he is with the Philistines, and the Philistines are getting ready for this really big battle against Saul's army. And David wants to go and be a part of this battle. But the commanders of the Philistines say to this king, they say, do not bring, do not let David come with us because what would happen? What if his sons turn their back? What if they turn their back on no, their sons? What if they turn their back on us and they attack us in the middle of the battle? So, so they decide not to, he, they decide to tell David to, to go home, to just go to his hometown. So David goes to his hometown called Ziglag. So he's there with his men. He goes there. And they find that all the women and children, all their possessions have been taken by a group of people called the Amalekites. And the Amalekites have taken them. They raided the town, burned it. And uh, David and his men, they mourn, they, they fast, they pray, they ask if they should pursue. God says, yes, go pursue them. And they go and they get all the women and children back without them being harmed at all. It was a miracle of God that no one was touched. And then they come back to the hometown of Ziglag. Well, the battle that, we, that I talked about earlier that was going to take place was in the northern part of Israel, and it was near this mountain. Mount Gilboa is where it was at, the northern part of Israel. It was 80 miles from Ziglag, and that's important for us to know, and it was a three-day journey. And at this battle, Saul is killed. Well, he ends up killing himself. His, uh, two, his three sons, Jonathan, two others die, and many of the Israelites fall by the sword. And it was a big blow to the nation. So that's where, that's where we're at, and that's where we pick up the scripture in chapter 1. And it says this, Now it came after the death of Saul, when David had returned from slaughter of the Amalekites, that David remained two days in Ziglag. And it happened that on the third day, a man came out of the camp of Saul with his clothes torn and dust on his head. And when, 
And when it came, he came up to David and fell to the ground and prostrated himself. So he, he comes, he ha- he's torn his clothes, he's traveled three days. It's taken him a lot of time. He's had a lot of time to think about what he's going to present to the king and say to him. And he's showing his mourning. He's also showing submission and that he knows who David is. And David said to him, where have you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to them, how did things go? Please tell me. And he told him, the people have fled from the battle, and, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead, and Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? And the young man told him, he said this, he said, by chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa. And behold, Saul was leaning on his spear, and behold, the chariots and the horsemen pursued him closely. And when he looked behind him, he saw me, and he called to me and said, and I said to him, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? And I answered, I am an Amalekite. Then he said to me, please stand beside me for, and kill me, for, I am an, for agony has seized me because my life still lingers. So... I stood beside him and killed him because I knew he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown which was upon his head and the bracelet that was on his arm, and I've brought them here to my Lord. So he, he tells this story, and we have, uh, we have contradiction in Scripture. Because 1 Samuel 31 talks about how Saul, I believe how Saul really died, which is what happened was... Saul was shot with an arrow. Someone shot an arrow on the Philistines. It wounded Saul critically. Saul Saul couldn't get away. He knew he was going to perish and they were going to have their way with them, knowing that it would be awful if if they got their hands on King Saul. So he said to his armor bearer, take your sword and run me through. Kill me. And the armor bearer says, no, I can't can't do that. So then Saul takes his, his sword and he falls on it and kills himself. And then the armor bearer ends up doing the same. You know, it's like a captain of a ship, I guess. Like, I'm going to go down with the ship too. <laughs> and uh, so, they, so he falls on the sword, and they, they both die. And then the Philistines find Saul's body the next day. And that's important to know. We'll come back to that. They find his body the next day, and then Israelites end up taking his body and burying it in a tomb for Saul and his son, Jonathan. And then, but what, what this Amalekite says, there's, He's saying that, hey, I, I, I did it. I, I conquered your enemy, David. I conquered your enemy. He really wants a reward. And there's some issues that Saul, uh, David, excuse me, David can see about this story. Uh, one of the issues is that the Amalekite tells David, he says, hey, I just happened, I just happened to be there on Mount Gilboa. Have you ever, as a parent, heard your kids tell you, I don't know, I was just, I was just there and. I don't know what happened. Or, or our children, we, our kids love candy. Both Josie and I have a sweet tooth, so we have chocolate stored away. And uh, this will happen probably more often than it should. But our youngest, Sadie, will get in the chocolate and the Hershey Kisses or whatever we have and eat it. And we'll come, we'll find chocolate fingerprints on the countertops. We'll find chocolate on the couch. We're like, hey, Sadie, did you eat chocolate? She's like, no. 
And we'll say, oh, what about these rappers? I, Sammy did it. I don't know. Well, Sammy's asleep still. So who did it? And, and, uh, and then, you know, her face is covered in chocolate. She's like, I don't have no idea. And, and we can see as parents right through the deception. And David can see, too, some things that is deceiving about that just don't add up in the story. That I, just, I was just there, Mount Gilboa. And then he said, and Saul was leaning on his spear. So if Saul's leaning on his spear, he can't move. He's stuck. And it says, in the chariots and the men, they pursued him closely. Well, if he's stuck, how are they going to pursue him cl- closely? That doesn't make sense. He has time to turn around while the spear's in him, mind you, and go, hey, who are you? Like, he's not going to, he don't care who that guy is at that point. And so then this Amalekite says, I, and then the last thing is he, he stood beside Saul. And also David, knowing the Amalekites and knowing how Saul viewed the Amalekites, wasn't good. So he, pro- Saul, he probably knew Saul wouldn't have had this Amalekite kill him. It would have been just like a Philistine killing him in his mindset because of the pride in, in Saul. And so that's another clue. But the last clue is he said, I knew he, I knew he couldn't live. And this is a young man in this story. And so how do, are you a doctor? How, how do you know? Who are you? So there's all these questions that are happening with, this, with the Amalekite story. And he, remember the Amalekite, he expects a reward. So in verse 11, he doesn't get what he, what he thinks he's going to get. And David doesn't respond how he thinks he's going to respond. Verse 11 says, David took hold of his clothes and he tore them. And also did the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul, for his son Jonathan, and for the people of the Lord, because of the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. So, in my mind, I think about this. David has been running from Saul. He's been, getting, he's been trying to get away. He's, he's dodged two spears that Saul has thrown at him. And then he's made public enemy number one. So the army of Saul is chasing the army of David. And he's living in caves. He's doing all these things. And then on top of that, David goes to these priests of Nod. And, and they, they give him food. They give him shelter. They help him get by. And how Saul responds is he says, how, he's, Saul says to the priest, he said, how could have you helped David? You are traitors. And he has priests of God killed. And one of them escapes and tells David. So David knows this happens. And Saul's all about his own kingdom. And it's like, I don't understand Saul's point of, or David's point of view. Because David should have tried to kill Saul. He should, he should be thankful. There's probably different emotions in his heart. Like, hey, it's, it's finally over. The chase is over. I, I, he, he's not going to get to kill me now. But how he responds is with mourning. And we have to understand that David could see something and understand something that sometimes is hard for us to understand, especially in our culture, which is David had two opportunities to kill Saul, he had an opportunity to kill him when Saul comes into this cave and, and there's 600 men in the cave with David and he, he uses the restroom. He, he takes a, a break from his men and his bodyguards, goes in this cave, thinks he's good. David and his men behind him and men are telling David, hey, this is your opportunity. Take this knife, kill him, cut his throat. 
God is delivered into his into your hand. So David cuts off his uh, a piece of his cape, and then and then uh, and then David says, "I can't kill the Lord's anointed." And then the other time is he's with one of the mighty men of valor that are mentioned that are mentioned in scripture a few times, and and they come up to Saul's camp, and everyone is asleep. Saul's asleep. There's a spear next to his head and a jug of water. And so instead of the, the mighty man said, Get, let me take the spear and spear him in the heart. I won't strike him twice. I'll do it one time and kill him. And Saul says, we can't touch the Lord's anointed. You see, if God put him in that spot, David understood God could take him out of that spot. And we have to remember that as a people that there are people who God has placed in position. Whether we like him or not, whether it is the President of the United States, or it is uh, a boss, or it is uh, someone in our family, we have to remember that they're made in the image of God too. So we should respect them. And we may hear voices that say, hey, tell me every single thing that happened. Tell me what's going on. Let me know everything that, that is transpiring. Go ahead and gossip. Go ahead and post it on Facebook. And that's not the response to have. We should have a response like David to choose to honor and love people because it's God who exalts. It's, it's, that, it's like that scripture that First uh, that, oh, Peter, he says that, uh, that, uh, he, that, he, that Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And we have to do that in the circumstances when we have difficult people who have caused us pain. We have to forgive them and let them go and release them to the most high God. So it's, there's a lot we can learn from David's response. And something to know that's important is, is this, this young man is a, who he is, an Amalekite. The history of the Amalekites, just to, it, this will help everyone, okay? So to understand the Amalekites attacked the nation of Israel in Exodus when, when they, were leaving, they were leaving Egypt, going to the promised land. They were attacked, and, and God says to, to Moses, he says, remember, in Deuteronomy, he says, remember the Amalekites. Remember how they attacked your people along the road who were weak and at near the rear. He said, remember them. Make sure to write it down and to read it to Joshua because you need to wipe them out completely. So fast forward, now the Amalekites, uh, the Amalekites are in the nation of Israel during Saul's time. Well, Saul in chapter 15, he is, he's told by God, he's told to kill the Amalekites. So he's saying, hey, what I spoke through Moses, the prophet, what I spoke through him about the Amalekites, you're, to wipe, you're the guy who's going to make it happen. And you may say that's really harsh, that he would kill the Amalekites, but to know they... They were into child worship, where they would sacrifice children. The Amalekites would attack, were raiding parties. They were really like pirates. They would attack cities that were vulnerable. They would take their possessions. Then they would sell all the possessions for money. So they would do that. That's how they would live. And then they were scavengers. They would scavenge after a battle. And I'm sure David knows this as well. And the reason that God says to kill them is because if we fast forward in our Bibles again to the book of Esther, 
the nation of Israel, many of them are exiled to Persia. And when they're in Persia, there's this man named Haman. And Haman is an Agite. And Agite is a descendant of the Amalekites. And you see what Saul did that was wrong back in chapter 15. Saul could have killed the Amalekites and wiped many of them out. But he spared the king and several others and goats. So what happens is the man of God, Samuel, the last judge of the nation of Israel, shows up. And he's a big deal. He, he shows up and I could imagine him looking around like, what is going on here? You like walking <laughs> walk in the family room thinking my kids are all running around crazy, jumping off the couch. I'm like, what is going on? And it's the same mindset. He's like, what? This isn't right. What is happening? And so when, he's, when he comes up to Saul, he says, Saul, what is happening here? What's going on? And Saul's created, he's taken animals, he's created this altar, he's burned it up, and he said, I've done what the Lord our God told me to do. I'm doing good, I'm worshiping the Lord. And Samuel says, then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep in my ear? He says, this is a problem. So then Samuel takes the sword and he cuts up the king of the Amalekites, he kills him, and he says to, to Saul, he says, He says, don't you understand it's better to obey than to give sacrifice? And it's better for us to obey the Lord and honor people and love people than to sacrifice others. And and it's better. We want to follow what the Lord's commandments are. Amen. We don't want to bash people or hurt people. And God loves them as well. We have to keep that in mind as well. So, So then the kingdom is ripped from Saul. David's anointed as king in private. So then then Saul knows somebody else is going to be king, so that's why he was nervous about David. And and, and on top of that, I meant to mention this, but but there's the Ten Commandments, obviously, and one of them is thou shalt not kill. But it's interesting to me because in Genesis chapter 9, when Noah gets off the ark, One of the things God tells Noah is, if a man sheds blood, by his blood may he be shed. So what he's saying, and he says, because he was made in the image of God. And what he's saying is that capital punishment is something that I'm instituting. That God instituted capital punishment. And there's something that's called a good death. And this is one of those good deaths that happens to the Amalekites because in the book of Esther with Haman, Haman wanted to completely eradicate all the Israelites. And God knew that. It would, like, it would be like for us, you know, if we could go back in time, in history, and we could take care of one person or kill somebody, it would be Hitler and his cronies. Well, God, God sees the whole view of time, and he understands that's going to happen and come up, but here's the opportunity to wipe them off the face of the earth and keep them from hurting others. And it would, that, that attack in Esther, just to be clear to everybody, also would affect the coming of the Messiah. So it was a demonic, it was a very demonic group of people that had a lot of anger and hatred towards the Israelites. This all just important for you to know. And then so David mourns, the men mourns, and David said to the young man who told him, and he told the young man, he said, where are you from? So now he's saying, before he said, where have you come from? Hey, where were you at? To now it's, who are you? And the man responds saying to David, 
I am, he said, I am the son of an alien and a Malachite. And David responds and he says, how is it then that you are not afraid to stretch out your hand and destroy the Lord's anointed? So there's a few things that David is saying to, to this young man. He, obviously, he's saying that you should understand. And the reason you should understand is because his father has been here long enough for him to know who Saul is and that Saul was anointed. He should know. And, he, and also on top of that, I'm sure David understands if you know who I am, that I'm going to be that I'm number two, that I'm going to be the one who, to take over Israel. You should know not to touch the Lord's anointed. We need to keep that in mind that we don't need to, we don't need to take vengeance into our own hands. The Bible says, revenge is mine, says the Lord. He'll take care of it. If you honor and you give it up to him, he's going to take care of it. Whether it's in this life, it may not be in this life where you see revenge happen to somebody. It may be in the life to come, and we have to be okay with that. We have to entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. Amen. So then, so then David said, David called one of the young men and he said, um, he said, go and cut him down. And they struck him and he died. So the young man died at his own hands. Worship team, you can go ahead and come forward. So there had to be blood shed. The man said, I did it. It was me. I touched the Lord's anointed. It reminds me of on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. What happens is Peter's standing. There's these people from different nations. They weren't necessarily there when, when Jesus had the nails put in his hands and feet. But what he says to the crowd is he said, you killed the Lord's anointed. We have to have that point of view that it's our sin that held Jesus there. We killed the Lord's anointed. But instead of us being killed for that, we have an opportunity because Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself for us and for our sins. So it says this, and David ends up reading, he said, your blood is on your head and on your mouth because you have testified, your mouth has testified against you saying, I killed the Lord's anointed. First Peter says this, he says this again, he said, We should, we should live following the example in his footsteps, in Jesus' footsteps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. This is while he's, he's going to Calvary. He's going to the cross. He's suffering. He's going through pain. He, could, he had the, every right to lash out, but he didn't. And he's our model. And sometimes we justify lashing out at others, but really, we don't have any right. Jesus didn't see that he had a right. Neither should we. No, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And he himself, speaking of Jesus, bore the sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live for righteousness, for by his wounds we're healed. And then it says, For you are continually strained away like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the guardian of your souls. We can stray. 
And my question to all of you is, is there an Amalekite in your heart? Are you trying to gain something in return? And bash others and harm others? We don't want to do that. We need to just give it over to the Most High. He knows what's going on. He's big enough. The Bible says that he took the stars with his finger, put them in the sky, and called them by name. He's bigger than our situation. He knows we're hurting. But he calls us to come to the foot of the cross and lay it before him and give it to him. With every head bowed and every eye closed. For many of you, that you may feel that way, that there's, that there's somebody who has caused you pain and hurt you. And now's the moment, if you would like to release people who have, who have wronged you, it's not saying it was okay or right, but it's saying that you just let it go. That you entrust yourself to the one who judges justly, even when your enemy is going through suffering. To give it over, that we're not going to rejoice over suffering for them, but we're going to entrust it all to God. I want to pray with you. But there's another group of you, and that, that the group is those of you who have never given your heart to your Lord. You've never called Him Lord. Or maybe you've called Him Lord, but you're strained and you've, you've done different things. It's like the Amalekite said to David, I've come here with these bands and this crown and given them to my Lord. Well, the Amalekite wasn't his Lord. You have to really give your life to Him. So if you want to give your life to Jesus or recommit your life, all you have to do is pray this prayer with me. Just pray out loud in this moment with me. Just say, Father God, I believe in you. I believe you lived, that Lord Jesus lived, and that Jesus died. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me for my sins. Make me brand new. You're my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to release people, I want to help you in this moment to forgive those who have caused you pain. So if there is somebody who has hurt you, if you would feel comfortable just to turn your hands up towards heaven, almost like an offering to God, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Just say, Father God, I give you, and then name those people out loud right now. Lord, we give you offense and we give you people. Lord, forgive us in return. Help us walk like David, God. Help us walk like you, King Jesus. With honor to your name and glory to your name. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And every